But God is big enough to hold all of that, to hold the places where she was right and the places where she was wrong and and to still fulfill the promise to work all things together for the good of those who love him. And I hope that seeing that kind of complexity and movement and change in her life can help us give ourselves and give each other room to read and think and wrestle and change our minds and be in process and trust that, as Elizabeth Elliot always reminded her radio listeners, we're loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And and God is big enough to hold on to us. Elizabeth Elliot was one of the most well-known and influential figures of the late 20th century and early 21st century, both in evangelical circles, but also in the culture at large. Recently, a biography of her life was written by Lucy S.R. Austin and published by Crossway Publishing. On this episode of Theology for the People, I speak with the author and we discuss who Elizabeth Elliot was and the influence that she had. I hope you'll enjoy this episode and stay tuned to the end to hear about what to look forward to in coming weeks on the podcast. Here's the episode. Hi, Lucy. Thanks for being on the show today. Hi, thank you for having me. Lucy, maybe introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us just briefly about your book and then we'll get into a little bit more on the details. Okay. My name is Lucy and my husband and I and our four kids live in Southwest Washington and we have two cats and four goats and a flock of chickens and ducks and a little orchard that we spend all our time trying to keep the deer out of. And that's what I do when I'm not reading and writing. There you go. Have you written other books beside this one? I have a couple of high school English textbooks for specifically for homeschool families. Okay, great. So you wrote this biography of Elizabeth Elliot, and I know that a lot has been said about her, a lot has been written about her, but what drew you specifically to write a full biography on Elizabeth Elliot, and what inspired you to explore her life and legacy? Well, I, I needed a biography of Elliot or biographies of Elliot for another project I was working on, which was actually one of those textbooks where I wrote many biographies of several American Christian authors. And when I started looking for one, I discovered that there was no full-length biography of Eliot in existence. And so I had to go directly to source material to write about her for that project. And I was very intrigued by what I found. And so when that project was over, it was the intersection of my interest in her and then the gap in the record, so to speak, that, that led into this longer project. Oh, great. So I know that Elizabeth Elliot, like when I think of her and know her, I know that kind of how she became well-known and how she continued to be well-known was as the widow of Jim Elliot, who was a martyred missionary to the Huarani tribe in Ecuador. But that's really only part of her story. What else do you think is important for people to know about Elizabeth Elliot? Well, just kind of a, a popcorn list of some other noteworthy things about her life. Uh, I, I believe she was the first female Greek major at Wheaton College. Um, she was a missionary in her own right in Ecuador, both before and after her marriage to Jim Elliot. She was good at languages. Um, she did Bible translation. She wrote a very good novel that J.I. Packer absolutely loved. She was an adjunct professor at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and 
Um, her students included the Reverend Vicountess Johnson, who was the first black woman to earn an MDiv at Gordon-Conwell and only the fourth woman ordained by the American Baptist Church USA, and also Tim and Kathy Keller, uh, who became nationally known in the 2000s for their role in the growth of New York City's Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Elliot was a stylistic consultant on the NIV translation. She had a radio program for over a decade. She published almost 30 books. So I think one thing I hope that the book will show is that she she was a child and a sister and a friend, and, and she lived a very rich and multifaceted life outside the small portion of her story that gets told so often. Yeah. Currently, I'm reading the biography of Tim Keller that was written by Colin Hansen. And that was something I didn't know, actually, was that Kathy Keller had specifically studied under Elizabeth Elliot. I mean, both of them had, but Kathy Keller had a relationship with Elizabeth Elliot that really shaped her views. And one of the views that was shaped specifically that they bring out in that biography is that Elizabeth Elliot was a complementarian in her theology of the role of women in church ministry leadership, and that she really influenced Kathy Keller because Kathy Keller had initially planned when she was younger in being ordained as a Presbyterian minister, and it was through her relationship with Elizabeth Elliot that she was actually convinced to be a complementarian. And I think that's maybe what's really interesting about Elizabeth Elliot is that as a complementarian, right, believing that women can't hold the offices of elder or pastor in the church, that she still was used by God in incredible ways. She was used as a, a scholar. She was used as a missionary. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think, I think it's a pretty complicated part of her, her story and her legacy, just because there are so many different views on, on what exactly it means to be a complementarian and how that plays out practically for the roles of women and and men in the church. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's been that's been a very maybe a, a controversial part of of her legacy and her teaching. Mm. What what do you think makes it controversial? I'm curious. I think several of the people that I spoke to who were gracious enough to grant me interviews in the process of writing the book, researching for the biography, felt that the specifics of of how Eliot was teaching about the roles of the sexes didn't always mesh well with with how she herself was ministering in the church. Oh, and yeah. so they felt that there was some tension and some contradiction there. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I know that complementarianism essentially exists on a spectrum, right? So that you have everything from very hard to very soft. And the application of the principles, which one might agree to as a complementarian, are that's where it gets sticky. So yeah, that's very interesting to hear. As an author, you mentioned that you struggled to find other resources as far as full-length biographies on her life. What challenges did you face in researching and writing about her? I mean, a big one was just logistics. I'm home full-time with my kids and for the first several years. So this this project took me over a decade from, from start to book on the shelf. And for the first several years, I was working on it one day a week and then evenings sometimes. And then once I had a, once I was under contract, I was writing, you know, full time during the day. And then I still had to cook dinner at night, which I discovered was 
a much more creative process for me than I had realized it was before. And so I, I hit the kitchen at the end of the day, just exhausted. (laughs) But so that was, I mean, just logistics was part of it. Um, the shutdown in the early part of, um, 2020, I, you know, as you're writing little, little things come up that you need to research to fill in gaps in the story. And interlibrary loan was closed down, archives were closed down. So that was a challenge. Mm. You know, the telephone and the internet and help from family and friends and so on enabled me to kind of get around some of those roadblocks. But another challenging thing about it really has been that writing about somebody who can be maybe somewhat polarizing, people can have pretty strong feelings about, about her and about her work. That was something that that created challenges uh, for me because it can be hard to get people to hear you out about the project and and give it a chance. So interesting. I wasn't aware that she was a polarizing figure. I've always heard of her spoken of positively. I mean, yeah. You mentioned the complementarian part. Is that where the controversy comes in, or were there other controversies as well that made her a polarizing figure? Over the years of her life, there there were other things. So she moved back to the United States from Ecuador in the 60s, and, and the book goes into this in more detail, but she was doing a lot of, of careful thinking and reconsidering of kind of a lot of the aspects of her faith and, and Christian culture that had just kind of been received in her childhood. And she ruffled a lot of feathers with that and got herself disinvited from some speaking engagements and she you know had a book contract canceled at one point and so i mean she i think she experienced a fair amount of of controversy and polarization interesting i i myself was a missionary in europe and i'm curious to hear maybe could you share some of those things that she felt changed in her views as a missionary i don't know how how many of them we have time to get into but i i mean i think a big one was that she she came back feeling like like missions was was what she called the gospel business and it was it was advertised in a way that i think she ultimately ended up feeling maybe was false and wasn't representative of what life on the on the field was really like and so when she would be invited to speak, you know, she would say, I was invited here to speak because of my experiences on the missionary, on the mission field. And I think that I know what people are expecting me to say, but I can't say that in good conscience. And then would share kind of what her present perspective was. So, mm. What do you think was the expectation of people that they wanted to hear? I think she felt like they were looking for a cause and effect relationship between our obedience and God's action that if we put in the right set of behaviors on our end then God will will give back the outcomes that we're looking for mm-hmm. on his end yeah very interesting so let me ask you this were there any surprising discoveries you made along the way as you researched as you got to know about Elizabeth Elliot like was there anything that you weren't expecting that surprised you? I don't know that there was anything surprising in the sense of, you know, sh- shocking or startling, but but previously, you know, there was almost a 50-year period of her life about which very little had been written. 
And so, I mean, to some extent, any any new details that came up were just fresh and new about her work and about her, her personal life and so on. So. How did you go about finding that information? So there were several sources available. One is her family letters, which she donated to the Billy Graham Center Archives at Wheaton College in Illinois. And she and her siblings and her parents wrote letters to each other weekly and even bi-weekly for decades and decades, um, starting when she went away to boarding school and high school and continuing through the rest of her mother's life and then on into their own later lives. And so those those letters were a rich, rich treasure trove of information. And then she was inveterate journal keeper. She couldn't she couldn't stop. She tried tried a couple of times to give it up. But so her journals were a good source. Portions of them are available in a few different places. And and her writing is autobiographical. So I read carefully everything she wrote. But also I conducted over two dozen interviews with people who with her family, with her friends, with the people who had been in Bible studies that she taught, those kinds of relationships, people who had known her at, at all various points along the way in her life. Well, Elizabeth Elliot's life obviously was filled with remarkable experiences. Which aspects of her life story did you find most compelling and why? That's a great question. And I know probably this isn't what most people think of when you say remarkable experiences, but to me, one of the most compelling things about her life is really her perseverance. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. To me, one of the most compelling things about her life is really her perseverance. Eugene Peterson has that wonderful phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. And I think that that really describes Elliot through all the changing circumstances of her life and the joys and the sorrows, the daily tedium of 87 years of living. She just kept putting one foot in front of the other in pursuit of knowing God. Mm. I know, you know, one part of her story is that she faced a lot of hardships during her life. I know that she was widowed at least twice and maybe maybe more. I know of two. But how did, how did she cope with those challenges? And what do you think is the takeaway for us today from her resilience through those difficulties? In one sense, I think she coped with her challenges kind of the same way throughout her life, which was, you know, to, to do what she saw as her duty, or she characterized it as to do the next thing, which meant to just find the next duty that lay before her and do it to the best of her ability and then do the thing after that. And she she prayed the Psalms, she sang um, old hymns that had theology that encouraged her, um, and she just made the decision to, to, you know, kind of consciously choose to trust that God was good uh, in spite of her circumstances. In, in another sense, and the book describes this in more detail, but I think she started life with an attitude or a, yeah, an attitude towards suffering that was influenced, you know, by her culture, by her personality, maybe toward a kind of baptized stoicism. And, and she had the sense that she had to, to endure suffering or overcome adversity 
the old holiness slogan that was popular was to get through suffering, not just somehow, but triumphantly. Mm -hmm. And so that was very much her kind of her approach, you know, when Jim Elliott was killed, that was how she handled it. She wasn't just going to get through it. She was going to do it well. And, and I think over time, and as she continued to suffer over the course of her life, she started to see it less as a test of her love for God and more, see more of the love of God for her and God's presence with her. And, and she would later write to see that no matter how big the storm is, Jesus is in the boat with us. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know that there's a one size fits all pattern for a good way to deal with hardship and adversity, but but I find those tools, you know, meditating on the goodness and promises of God, following the example of the Psalms and sharing the full range of our emotions with God, and then the reminder to rest in and take comfort in the fact that Jesus is in the boat with us to be really encouraging. Yeah. What do you view Elizabeth Elliot's role in history? Like, what, what do you see as her impact on history, having researched her and studied her? Well, I think think i think it's it's possibly a little early to be able to answer that question i think scholarship on eliot is kind of just getting off the ground getting started you know and before we can make a a good assessment of her the influence of her life and work and where we go from here i think it's important to have as clear a, a, as possible a picture of what they were. And so I hope this book contributes to that. In her own book, These Strange Ashes, Elliot says that she can't describe the effects of her work as a missionary, that that story belongs to the people that she lived with. Um, and ultimately, in the final analysis, that story belongs to God. But f- like four generations now of, of Christians have been influenced by her writing and teaching. And that's not just in the U.S. because she spoke internationally and her books were translated into many different languages. So so definitely her life has affected history. Yeah. I mean, just not knowing her very well, I would say that uh, from my perspective, she seems like a pretty important figure in 20th century evangelical history. And I think yes. it's uh, significant, you know, as a woman, like I, I don't want to belabor the point that I made earlier, but it's just to say that as a woman who actually held conservative views on the role of women in ministry leadership, she, I think, exemplified, because our church and the church that I pastor, we're complementarian church as well. And I would point to Elizabeth Elliot and say, you know, here's a woman who's using her, her knowledge and skills. She's a theologian. She's using those things. And she is showing that you can have a meaningful impact as a woman in in the church and in society and in the world for the kingdom. And I think that's really inspiring. And yeah, just even thinking about how, you know, as a teacher at Gordon-Conwell and the ways that she influenced so many leaders in that part of the second half of the 20th century, I think that, yeah, she has had quite the impact that will show itself in the years to come. What do you hope readers will take away from your biography? Are there any specific lessons or insights that you think are particularly relevant for today's world? I think I would like readers to take away is just 
the complexity of her story because of kind of her, she had a, a lifelong commitment to, to continued learning. She didn't just get to adulthood and pick a set of opinions and stay there. She kept reading, she kept thinking, she kept praying, she kept studying the Bible. And on, on many topics, she wasn't someone about whom you could say, Elizabeth Elliot thought X, because she thought different things at different points in time. And it wasn't even necessarily that she thought A, and then she thought B, and then she thought C, and it was a, a continued progression in one direction. You know, sometimes she would start out at A, move to B, and spend some time there, and then go back. And so kind of the the one result of that is that I think by default, sometimes, you know, she was wrong. If you change your mind from one thing to another and then change it back at some some point in there, you know, assuming that there is objective truth, then you were wrong at some point. And, um, but, but God is big enough to hold all of that, to hold the places where she was right and the places where she was wrong and, and to still fulfill the promise to work all things together for the good of those who love him. And I hope that seeing that kind of complexity and movement and change in her life can help us give ourselves and give each other room to read and think and wrestle and change our minds and be in process and trust that, you know, as as Elizabeth Elliot always reminded her radio listeners, that we're loved with an everlasting love. Uh, that's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And and God is big enough to hold on to us. Mm. That's great. How about you personally? How has this project, writing the book, you, you said this is a many year long project for you. How has it changed you? How has it shaped you? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I, th- I think kind of what I just said has been a big part of how learning more about her life has affected my thinking. I, you know, I think I hoped on some of the kind of puzzles of her life when I started writing that as I learned more about her, I would be able to, to tease those puzzles out and to, to understand, you know, whether she had the right conclusion or the right position on, on various things. And, and I think in the process of finding all the information there was to find and putting the pieces of the story together, I think on a lot of those questions, there's still just not a clear answer, that we're just too small as human beings to see to the end of the story in our lifetimes. But but that's okay, because we can trust God's character. Mm. So your book is quite thorough. I mean, I, I have started reading it. I'm at about the part where she's going to Wheaton College and mm-hmm. um, meeting Jim and all of these things. And... I mean, it's full of photos. It's very thorough. But here's my question for you. In doing this, was there also an editing process? I mean, are there things that you had to leave out of the book that um, you remember and treasure, and yet you realize that for the sake of, you know, brevity, you're not going to be able to put them in? And maybe here's an opportunity for you to share one or two of those. Yeah, the editor who worked on the book with me is laughing. (laughs) She said... (laughs) As if she hears this, because yes, I think probably ultimately as much again hit the cutting room floor over the various stages of editing. One rabbit trail that we had to to really limit in the book that was endlessly fascinating to me, which is why we had to limit it so much, was 
kind of the history of evangelicalism as seen through Wheaton College and digging into the different positions that different presidents at Wheaton took over the years on various issues, how how they handled the modernist fundamentalist controversy in the 1920s, kind of their background in different schools of philosophical thought in early American history. All of that was very interesting to me, and and I felt like you could kind of see the themes of the wrestling between a perceived conflict between scholarship and piety kind of repeating themselves over and over again in the bigger Christian culture that Elliot lived in throughout her life. Wow. Okay. Wow. That is fascinating. I mean, maybe give us a little bit more on that. I'm curious. Tell us more about Wheaton. And do you think that those things shaped Elizabeth Elliot? Or do you think that, like, was she a product of Wheaton? Or was it more like she herself, as an evangelical in the 20th century, reflected some of those things that took place in broader evangelicalism? Well, she definitely was a product of of Wheaton. I mean, I think not only the churches she grew up in, but then very heavily at Wheaton, the the missions emphasis of of her environment really shaped her and the the kind of urgency for getting out to the mission field after World War II. But yeah, Wheaton certainly shaped her. The president, J. Oliver Buswell, I believe, the president before Edmund, who was the president when Elliot was there, he really focused the school on, he, he got it accredited, he added a philosophy department, he focused on really expanding the academic aspect of the of the college, and then when Edmund came in, he, I think he was concerned that this greater academic focus was threatening the piety of the student body, and he scrapped the philosophy department and, and focused much more on devotional aspects of, of things while he was the president there. And, and Elliot and Rachel Saint, they, they lived together with the Weirani for a few years they kind of then reflected that tension. Rachel Saint was corresponded regularly with Edmund and was close to him and I think reflected a lot of his his emphasis and his focus on piety. And Elizabeth Elliot tended more to reflect kind of the academic, you know, going out to interact with non-Christian philosophy and and wrestle with it and and understand how fit in with the teaching of scripture. So, you know, I think the story of Elizabeth Elliot, like her husband having been killed by the Huarani tribe, and then her going back with her children to minister to them, share the gospel with them as part of that team. I mean, obviously that is a huge thing. And it's what she's well known for. I, re- I remember reading at one part in your book that that story was read uh, by something like one third or something like that of the entire American population, it was closer to three quarters. It wow. was around seventy-five percent, probably. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's such an incredible testimony. What surprises me, though, in the story is that after she went back to Ecuador to be with this tribe and to minister to them, she only stayed with them. Was it two years or something like that? It wasn't a particularly About long time. That. Yeah. yeah. What led her to leave? Well, you'll you'll 
get the story in more detail when you get to that part of the book. But but ultimately, it was that she and Rachel Saint couldn't come to an agreement on a way to work together, and she felt that that the most that the best thing she could do in an impossible situation was to withdraw and not to continue to try to make it work. Okay. Well, I look forward to getting to that part. And could you briefly summarize her time at Gordon-Conwell? Because that's, that's the other period that I, I know her from other than her books. But I think it's a period that actually most people don't even realize that she was a adjunct professor at Gordon-Conwell. Yeah. So she started teaching there after her second husband died. He had been a professor at the school. And so she was living near the campus and and she was offering room and board to students seminary students in her home and so i think she was already you know quite involved with the campus community so she she taught one one class at a time and she taught a few different classes she one that her brother jokingly called something like like her manners class that's not oh, quite right but heard it about was that on in the uh, tim keller biography yeah yeah it was on, you know, she saw it as being how your beliefs ought to play themselves out practically in your approach to to life. And she taught on missions, I think, and a few other things. So she she ultimately stopped teaching there because the, excuse me, the, the school asked asked her to pick a new topic to teach on enough times that she didn't have time in her schedule anymore to keep putting together a whole new class. And so eventually she de she declined to return. But okay. yeah. And what happened to her after Gordon-Conwell? I know probably a lot of things, but maybe in broad strokes. Yeah. So very broad strokes. I mean, she had an incredibly hectic speaking schedule. Um, she got to the point where she only accepted a speaking invitation if it was issued exactly 18 months ahead of time, because that was how far out she planned her calendar. Hmm. And if you were sooner than that, uh, or later than that, you were out of luck. Um, wow. And so, so yeah, she was very busy. She traveled all over the country. She traveled internationally. And somehow in between all of those trips, she managed to keep writing books and and then she started a radio program, and she would record big batches of sessions at a time, and it was a five-day-a-week radio program for about a decade. Wow. That's great. So for those who are interested in learning more, obviously they can get your book. Maybe tell people, again, the title of your book and where can they find it. Yeah, the book is called Elizabeth Elliot, A Life. And and I think the stock answer is it's available wherever books are sold. Uh, it's at on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. It's on Christian Book Distributor. Um, it's on uh, Crossway.org. Um, so I think if you Google the title, several different places to to purchase it will pop up. So. Great. Do you have any projects coming up now that you finish this one? I'm working on putting together some of my research materials to donate to the Billy Graham Center archives to be part of the Elizabeth Elliot collection there so that other people can access can access my stuff. So Excellent. Well, thank you for what you're doing and providing this resource for people to use. And we'll be praying for you as you embark on those next steps in your projects. Thank you. Thanks very much. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Theology for the People. In the next episode, I'll be speaking with Nathan Knight on the topic of church planting. He recently wrote a book about how to view and pastor new church plants. So stay tuned for that and make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so yet. That way, when new episodes are posted, they'll be delivered right to your podcast app. If there's ever a topic you'd like to learn more about, there's a section on my website where you can submit questions and suggest topics for me to cover. That can be found at nickkady.org. That's N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y dot O-R-G. If this episode was helpful, please share it with others. And if you would like to support this podcast, the best way you can do that is by leaving a written review on the Apple Podcast app. That really helps boost this show in their ratings. So if you would do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and until next time, God bless you.